Good morning on this beautiful Sunday morning in Skullville. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know how to say I see what you made me do. Ah! It's a Christian church for crying out loud. <laughs> Careful of that. Need better security in this building. <laughs> At West, I'm sure there are nothing but Viking jerseys, and so we're very, very glad that you're with us. Hey, you know what? This was a really great week uh, in so many ways. Uh, I'm just going to hit a couple. I just want to bring you into my week or what kind of the fun that, that I've been able to have uh, this week. You, many of you were here on Sunday, and uh, baptism is so, so fun. Uh, we, we often, in the early days of hope, uh, the, we used to lean over to each other, the elders of, uh, who helped start the church, we used to say, this is payday. This is so fun, watching people proclaim their faith. And this is a young gentleman by the name of Colin. Uh, he's at the U of M and, and uh, declaring his faith. And, and so that was Sunday. And then I'm going to jump forward to Tuesday, and we'll come back to Monday just because it makes sense here. But on Tuesday, we had an all-staff meeting, and we prayed for, by name, every single person that this year declared their faith in baptism. And uh, 32 of you declared your faith this year in baptism, and how fun that is to see people who, some of you, maybe this year was the year when you started your relationship with Christ, and in others, this is maybe the first time you said, yeah, as a kid, I owned this, but man, now as, a, as someone a little later on along in life, I own this. This is mine. I want to scream to the world that I'm a follower of Jesus, and so that, that was really a rich staff meeting on Tuesday. Back up to, to uh, Sunday. And uh, after the services, we had our Angel Tree party. And so there, if you still would like to be part of Angel Tree, you can go on The City, which is our online communication uh, way of, of, of doing things. And I think there's still a few gifts that you could do. And Angel uh, Tree is a ministry of prison fellowship where uh, you buy gifts in the name of the parent that is incarcerated. And you say, uh, in our case, it was a dad, and we said, this is from daddy, I love you, it was our, our note, and, and my wife actually got to talk to him uh, on the phone as she delivered the gifts. They weren't able to make it to the party, but this was the party, and it was back here in the lobby, and it was packed. It was just people everywhere, and I got to be in the fireside room, and, and I was reading from the Jesus Storybook Bible, and it was awesome. It was so fun. Kids were right in front of me, uh, and they were just engaged, and then there was kind of chaos happening also in the room but that's great. That's kind of what it is. And then afterwards, we had the opportunity to give each family that came to the party a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible. And this shot was taken by Marilyn Mick. It's so cute. Here's this little one reading her new Jesus Storybook Bible. I mean, take your, break your heart here. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for little girls of which I have none, and my children will make me grandbaby girls. <laughs> that's... That's a, that's a threat. So uh, <laughs> then on Monday, we, we had an opportunity to bring a friend of mine, a pastor from Michigan. His name is uh, Noel Heikinen. Uh, Heikinen, excuse me, and it's Finnish. And he wrote a book called Unchained. It's a great book talking about freedom we have in Jesus Christ, how he's made it. We got a chance to have 30 church planters from around the region come in for our quarterly gathering. You maybe don't know this, but we host a thing called Mission 1618, which is just a bunch of church planters in the area that come together. Uh, people who are starting churches in the area from all different stripes come together just to get encouragement and some time in the Word and networking with one another. It's just a great time. And Monday was this awesome day. And then I, I could go on about my week, but then yesterday, I mean, come on. Yesterday, we had the opportunity to, to uh, release a, a new CD, and we had the release party, and I actually took, went around the sanctuary taking pictures, and I'm a terrible picture taker, but that, that is uh, just the, the night that it was last night. And, and I bring that all up in the context of Letting you know that Sundays are awesome here at Hope. I love Sundays. It's great to come together and worship as a, as a community and all that, but there's so much more that goes on. Those of you who are part of small groups or blessing the city through our many, many ministries we're helping out or just on and on and on and on through kids' ministry and music and different things, it's really, it's really uh, just a blessing. And I say that in the context of giving us our financial update. Of, of where we're at. And, and, and it might sound like, oh, what's he doing here? It's like, I want you to know it's not just about making a budget. It's actually about these cool things happening. 
little girl reading a, a Jesus storybook Bible that you bought when you put your money in the offering basket. That's just, that's just or however you do it. And so I just want to give you an update of where we're at. Core kind of went through it last, uh, last week. At the end of uh, uh, last week, we talked about in order to make the budget, we needed about $475,000 to come in in December. We are going to come under our budget by about $100,000. That's, uh, that's the way our bean counters, uh, and they just slap our wrist every time we try to grab for a bean, and then we try to grab it again. But they, you know, no, really, we, we try to run a lean, mean machine here. We're probably going to come in around $100,000 short. Uh, last week's offering was around 52000 Now, that does not include any, any electronic gifts. Anything that happens after, I think, Friday or so goes to the next week. So uh, that will be counted uh, towards next week. So somewhere in there, minus what we've, you know, people have done already, is around $323,000 that still needs to come in. That sounds like a lot of money. I don't have $323,000. If anybody does, we could just stop this right now. And, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> but I, uh, I want to ask you to be a part of this. And, and I think what happens is the church grows, you kind of get the bystander effect. Isn't that neat when someone will do this? And so I challenged this week our staff, and I challenged our elders and said, it's got to start with us. And so on Wednesday, Carol and I made a uh, end-of-the-year gift in addition to what we normally give to Hope. And, and I'm not saying this to shame anybody. It, it, that's not my point. Actually, I, if you remember in 2014, we had a real crisis financially. And, and I talked to you at that time about how in college, I had given $30 a month. And it was sacrificial. I didn't know where it was going to come from. And it was one of the coolest things for me to see how God would supply that. And I felt like in 2014, I said, I need to repent. Because for 18 years at that time, we started in 96. I have kind of helped kept you from this and tried to protect you from, you know, hope is all about money. We're not about money. That's not what we're about. We're about giving Jesus storybook Bibles to people and seeing people trust Christ and get baptized and, and starting new churches. And that's what we're about. But those things cost money. And so uh, I felt like I've robbed you of that joy. And so I repented of that. I, I said, I, I, I'm not going to do that anymore. I want to ask you to be a part of it. If hope is your home, I'd love you to be a part of it. You might think, well, I don't have $323,000. No, maybe you have 30. That would just, it's more for you and your benefit and saying, God, I don't, have, I don't know where 30 bucks, I'm a student. I don't know where 30 bucks is going to come from, but God, I want to start doing that. That'd be great. And I say that to encourage you. And some of us could make a larger year-end gift where, you know, this would, this would be covered. I am kind of praying that we actually raise 475 so that we would start the year in a strong sense and not, not in a weaker sense. And so, again, I'm going to ask uh, us to, be, uh, to just be excited about what God's doing and to be part of it. Okay, let's get on with what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we are in the last week. Next week, we're going to start a, a Christmas series based on the, the uh, Christmas song... Um, what? Oh, Holy Night. Thank you. And, um, and so we're going to do four weeks looking at each verse of that great Christmas hymn, and we'll cover one each week. But this is our last week, 13 weeks. We've basked ourselves in the Reformation. Uh, we started off by looking at the solas or the onlys, the things that came out of the Reformation uh, uh, from, from that period of time. And last, uh, we've now been moving on to these, these gospel doctrines or these flames, these truths about Scripture that have come forth and have been rekindled. And we started, we met a whole bunch of people. We started by uh, meeting Luther and what he accomplished. And he is still one of my favorite guys. And right now we've kind of moved into some of the theology of John Calvin. And, and often his theology is, is uh, put together by this acronym TULIP. And it looks something like this. We have added two things to TULIP. And it does not make a very good acronym because it'd be katulip g. So, uh, but we added creation because we think that the story of Scripture does not begin with us as, as tainted sinners. It, it begins with us being made in the image of God. But we're fallen, and every area of our life is tainted with sin. It's not that we're as evil as we could be. It just means every area is tainted, everything. And yet God is the one who, not because of us and not because of our goodness, not because of anything, he's the one who makes the move. He's the one who sends his son. He's the one who moves in our hearts. 
And he's the one who gives us this election or what we call uh, the necessary first work of God moving towards us. That leads to what we hate the phrase limited atonement. It's historically been known that. We much prefer uh, the phrase, which means victorious atonement, if you were here that week. In other words, uh, it is sufficient for all, but it's effective only for those people who believe Christ, only if you take Christ as Savior is his death actually working for your benefit. Then we talked about irresistible grace. Again, we hate that (laughs) title too, because it makes it sound like you come kicking and screaming, and instead it means, oh my goodness, this is irresistible, kind of like a big piece of ribeye. Can I get an amen? Amen. There we go. Okay, now... um, just freely choosing the beauty of Christ. God opens your eyes and you see him and you come running to him because he's beautiful. And then lastly, preservation of the saints. God is the one who preserves us. He doesn't leave us as orphans. He, he moves in us. And in this whole thing, we've talked about three things because these are mysterious. How does God's election and our having real choices fit together? I don't know. I don't know. But they're both true. Okay. Uh, How does God preserving us, and yet the scripture gives us commands to do? How does that work together? I don't don't, don't know. I don't know. But praise God, it does, right? And so we said there's three things that you can't miss. You have to remember. And as you think about these things, if you slip into thinking that you try to go too far, and even they call people who are followers of John Calvin even hyper-Calvinists because they went too far, that you kind of miss that God is good or that God is sovereign over all things or that God is actually loving. And so when you get to these ideas, and if you push it too far without looking at all all the characteristics of God and leaving it as a mystery, which is something we've encouraged, if you do that, you, 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 you can go, you can actually risk kind of defaming who God is by this. And so sometimes I think these doctrines of grace, they're called, are really very dangerous. But because it can't be that he's not good, and it can't be that he's not sovereign, and it can't be that he's not loving. Now, I don't know how it all works, but it can't be those things because I know those things to be true. I know that I know that I know that I know those things are true. Now let's talk about how this thing fits together. I I don't know, but I know those things to be true. It's amazing. I'm reading through Psalms right now, and it's amazing that in stress, when when David or whoever the psalmist is, ah, he constantly goes to the goodness and the love of God in the midst of those things. In other words, I have no idea what's happening. I'm going through puberty, sorry. I have no idea what's happening there in front of me, but I know, God, you're good, and I know, God, you're loving. And I don't know what's happening with all these enemies I have, but I have to hang on to those things or I'm going to go nuts. And that's very true. So we're going to wrap it up today. So we are today going to talk about glorification. The joy of being in Christ forever. Now, let me, let me talk a little bit, very little bit of history, because I actually didn't go back to one of the reformers this week. I got wrecked by somebody else, completely wrecked. And so I, he's, 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 he's from history, but, but not that far back. But let me give you a little bit of the history why this is important. Up until the time of the Reformation, you lived your life in fear of Judgment Day. That's how you lived your life. In fact, Carol and I just went to Europe uh, last fall, and, or a fall ago, fall and a half ago, or whatever it is. But we, we, uh, when you go into these great cathedrals, you'll see massive paintings up front that scare the bejesus out of you. Is bejesus a word? I don't mean to say like Jesus, whatever. But, but it just scares the daylights out of you. Because it, had this, it has this big judgment scene. It just looks like, ah, you know, or whatever's going on. And, 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 and it was kind of used to scare the people into being good. And when the Reformation comes along and Luther says, you know what, it's not about if you've paid enough money to the church or bought enough indulgences or are a good person. It is about, simply put, are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins? That's what it's about. And people said, what? That's it? That's it. Do you trust? Yes. The alternative is not a good idea. So yes, I trust Jesus Christ and I'm following him. And people started to realize they're heaven bound, that they could know they're going to heaven before they died. You live differently then. Now, to a lot of us in this room, you go like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that since I've been four. They never heard that. This idea of living for the hope that is ahead of them was more like, man, I really, the only thing they would say is, I hope I make it. I hope I've been good enough. It's not about being good. 
If you're brand new here at Hope this week and somebody brought you and you think they brought you because they want to make you a better person, trust me, I probably know the person who brought you. You're better than them. <laughs> That's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about someone else who is good on your behalf. And you take him. I'll come back to that several times. But that's the history of what this is about. Now, what do we mean by glorification? Let me give you kind of as a, we're going to do a lot of Bible today. And uh, if you want to follow along on that insert, that would be a good thing. I, I, I didn't even put all the scriptures on there because there's, there's too many. And, and if there's a lot of Bible, that means you're getting your money's worth today. Today's going to be really fun. Uh, <laughs> If you mess up a message on heaven, it'll take your preacher license from you. What do we mean by glorification? Let me read a passage that is kind of the key one that if you had to just study one, I would just study this one. We're just going to look at it, and then, and then we're going to move on to some other ones as well, but I want you to hear this one. Romans chapter 8, uh, 18 through 25, and I'm skipping a couple verses just they just talk about what we're going through now. I want to kind of look at our future self. And so this is where the Apostle Paul's doing that. Feel free on your own. If you have your Bible open, feel free to do that. Uh, verses 18 through uh, 30, skipping a couple. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There it is, verse 18. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So you see twice there. There's this glory thing happening. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Then just skipping down a couple of verses, and this is kind of the theme of the whole series we've been doing now. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. There's a string that is involving God, and there's all of it up until now in our lives is past. But there's one that's coming, and it's a future reality. And that's this glorification thing. So Wayne Grudem says it this way. He says uh, in his systematic theology, he says, glorification is the final step in the application of redemption. It will happen when Christ returns and raises from the dead the bodies of all believers for all time who have died and reunites them with their souls. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. And changes the bodies of all believers who remain alive, therefore giving all believers at the same time perfect resurrection bodies like his own. Now, let me back up just for a second because you're probably going, what's this whole reunited thing and all that? I don't know. I don't know. No one really does, okay? So if you, if you really want to humble somebody, ask them, what's your doctrine of what's called the intermediate state? In other words, what happens to someone who passes away now, like my father who died in November of last year, and yet Jesus hasn't come back to raise the dead? Where are they? I don't know. And neither do you. So, uh, and I'm, I'm not trying to be a jerk here. It's just, it is not clear in Scripture. It could just be a time thing, like, it happens, and then, boom, that's kind of what I think. It's just, you know, we're, 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 not, we're not just sitting somewhere in our, in our, away from our body, but I don't know exactly. But Gurdam is trying to fix that by saying, hey, it reunites them with their souls. Okay, fine, whatever. Here's what I do know, is that on that day, wherever I was, wherever you are, I, and, and, and I, I think you're, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So I think however it works, for you, it, it's just momentary. Boom, boom. You just pass from one life to the next. How that fits in our timeline, I, I, I don't really know. I, I don't. 
I don't pretend to know, and uh, uh, it's, it's very complicated. However, what's going to happen? What happens when that glory happens? This week, I, you guys all know that I'm a C.S. Lewis freak. Uh, C.S. Lewis, of course, he's not. This is not 1598, you know, or, or 1698. He'd have been alive, or excuse me, 1498 to 1563. He'd have been, he'd been alive during the, the Reformation. He wasn't. But he has done some amazing things. And th- there's a, a sermon by him called The Weight of Glory. It's in his book called The Weight of Glory. You can just Google it. You can get the PDF for free. Uh, and and it, it's, it's, there, it's a whole bunch of other essays in there as well. But the key one is this one called The Weight of Glory. It wrecked me this week. <laughs> I, 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 and it's going to wreck you, whether you like it or not, because I'm going to read a lot of it. So... Uh, it's amazing what he, he just thinks about. What is that going to be like? And in there, he says there are five realities of what will happen for us in what we'll be like in heaven. Now, if you want to Google this, there's kind of a fun article by a guy by the name of Randy Alcorn, and it just says realities in heaven. He has 51 things. It's a lot of things. But, but what C.S. Lewis here is saying, what, what has happened to us, and if you look at your insert here, you can look at him, he says, we'll be, we will be with Christ, we will be like him, we will have eternal felicity, that's a great word, felicity, uh, we will somehow uh, rule as, uh, reign as rulers, and we will be glorified. And uh, it, it's very cool how those all fit. He says, those are the kind of five things. He leans in heavy on the last one. What does this mean that we're going to be glorified or glorification will happen to us. But I want to walk those through with you because I think this is important for you to know what's coming up. What's your hope? Where's this thing going? So with that said, we will be with Christ. We will be with Christ. If you, if you uh, are a student of the Bible and you're just new to the Bible, uh, I'm going to read the, the end of the Bible. So it's a spoiler alert. I want to put your fingers in your ears. You're going to see how it ends otherwise here. So here we go. Last two chapters of the Bible, the last five verses out of each chapter. And I know people say, gosh, you quote those a lot. I don't quote those nearly enough. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth that had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, switch metaphor, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Just think of that, that beautiful moment He's trying to get at the earthly thing that would make some sense to you. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Could it be any more clear? Four times he says right there, I'm going to be with you, right with you. And then he says this, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God is down on one knee and he's wiping away with his thumb your tears. He was seated on the throne, said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Again, it's a metaphor. As clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Can you imagine what that would be like to live in a place where there's just no national strife? No longer will there be any curse. Let me just say that again. No longer any curse. I had to scream it because you don't believe it. You don't know what a minute would be like that. For just to go, oh, wow, my back doesn't hurt anymore. I got a bad back. Uh, or, Or whatever. I'm not in debt up to my eyeballs anymore. I don't have people that hate me anymore. I don't have these feelings in me that are bent at times towards hating others. Just gone. Sorry, I'm getting excited, but I'm preaching. That's what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. You're getting a tat. God. Right there. Boom. Maybe it's backwards so you can see it in a minute. I don't know. But (laughs) they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will 
not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. We should just take another offering right now. That's awesome. That's what it's going to be like. We're going to be with Christ. And and C.S. Lewis in this book, The Weight of Glory, or his, actually, it's a sermon that he gives. Uh, it's, it's, It's a short sermon. I was really impressed. You can read it in about 20 minutes or so. It says, the first question I ask about these promises, why anyone accept the first? The five promises about what's going to happen to us? Why any more than we're just going to be with Christ. Can anything be added to the conception of being with Christ? For it must be true, as an old writer says, that he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. But then he goes on to say, but my point is that this also is only a symbol, like the reality in some aspects, but but unlike it in others, and therefore needs correction from the different symbols in the other promises. The variation of the promises does not mean that anything other than God will be our ultimate bliss. But because God is more than a person, unless we should imagine the joy of his presence to, this is, hang with me now, but this is good stuff. But uh, imagine the joy of his presence too exclusively in the terms of our present poor experience of personal love with all its narrowness and strain and monotony. A dozen changing images, correcting and relieving each other are supplied. Here's what he's saying. I love my wife. I delight in her. We like to go on vacations together and, and spend time together. It is awesome. But after around five days together with just the two of us, I think she just wants to punch me in the face, right? It's just that, it's like, yeah, maybe somebody else, right? And, and because God knows us the way we're wired, he gives the other illustrations as well. Because a lot of you are thinking, gosh, is it just going to be like just, just with God and, and like a worship service or what? And, and he says there's other things here to to show the fullness of what it's going to be like with Christ. Second thing, I'm going to move through a few of these a little quicker, um, uh, just so we have time here to get at the end. We will be like Christ. Key passage on this one is 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul says, but God has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits. So in other words, you have an apple tree, and there's the first apple, and that's Jesus. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, the other apples. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is Death, if you want to understand more of what your resurrected body will be like, it will be like Jesus' resurrected body. Now, the difficulty with with that is we're not Jesus. So was Jesus able to do some things we might not be able to do? I don't know. But we're going to get that kind of body. Let me just keep moving here just for the sake of, of time. We will have eternal felicity. Felicity means joy, and it means hardcore joy, like like rapturous joy, better than just joy. Psalm 1611 is one of the famous passages that David is thinking about, and, and he says, you may have made known to me the path of life, and he's looking forward, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The Apostle Paul talks about this thing as well in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12 when he's talking about this vision that he had. Listen to this. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and re- revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Nice way of saying it's him. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't even know. I don't know if I actually went to third heaven are there different levels? I don't know. But Paul seems to I went to third. Hit the elevator, number three. We're going there. And I know that this man, we're in the body, apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast in myself except to boast about 
my weaknesses. Even if, I, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. So just hang on. The Apostle Paul has either a vision or something. He doesn't even know what happened. And he's caught up and he sees glory. And this, he calls it surpassingly great revelations. And now listen to this. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And even then, later in the chapter, he begs God, please take it away. And God says, uh-uh, uh-uh. My power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, you get this high spiritual high, and it's followed by this thing to, he says, to keep me from being conceited. Because otherwise, I, I, I would think about these great things, and in this flesh, I can't handle that without God also doing this. Okay? Now, this flesh is going to go bye-bye. What you will have is these surprisingly great revelations. These, these, you have filled me with eternal joy in your right hand. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about this. He says, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our current desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Sam Storms, uh, I just fell in love with this quote, so I have to give you this one too, but he, he just talks about what this joy is going to be like. He says, you need never live in fear that any heavenly joy will ever be lost or taken away. We struggle to enjoy life now for fear that it will soon end. We hesitate to savor what little happiness we have for fear that it may be taken away. We hold back and hedge our bets and restrain our souls, knowing that disaster may soon come or economic may, recession may begin or physical health may deteriorate or someone may die or something unforeseen may surprise us and take it all away. But not in heaven. Never. The beauty and joy and glory and delight and satisfaction and purity will never end, but only increase and grow and expand and multiply. Now, I remember this. I remember exactly when it was. It was 1989. How many of you were born? Not even yet in 1989. Just a, oh, wait, no, that's not true. You're a bunch of liars. Yeah, you are. You're, you're not. So anyway, um, uh, 1989, I was, I was on staff with the Navigators, and I was getting ready to go on campus, and I was going to speak that evening to our group, to our Navigator group. I was going to speak on heaven. And I did, in the morning, what I always did in the morning, every morning. First thing, grab the paper, and the very first thing you did with the paper is what? You looked at the comics. Because in those days, children... There were great comics. The funnies, I called them. You had Bloom County, killer. You had Calvin and Hobbes, amazing. But the one that you always saved was the far side. One of the famous ones here, where the, the deer has the target right in the middle. <laughs> and the caption says, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. <laughs> Every day, just amazing. And I remember reading a paper, and it hit me. And I said, I wonder if there's funnies in heaven. I wonder, I wonder if there's funnies, you know? And I don't know. I don't have profound thoughts, but this is one of them. That's why it's 1989, the last profound thought I had. Uh, I, I felt like God said to me, whatever button, oop, there's the funnies button. That feels really good when I see that. When I read uh, Far Side, it's something comes alive. Whatever that is, is just being barely touched. And however it's in heaven, whether or not there's golf in heaven, I don't know. Some of you, that be your own personal purgatory. I know, it's like, oh my gosh, another shank, right? But, uh, <laughs> but whatever button is being pushed by the funnies, God will push that button completely. It's like, wow, that's awesome. Bummer of a birthmark, Hal. <laughs> whatever is happening will just be completely opened up. And I said, I want to go. Yeah, so that was a, a big deal for me. Fourth thing, 
we will somehow reign as rulers. I wrote down some of here because it's really this obscure thing in Scripture. Somehow it talks about us as followers of Christ will rule. Uh, if you look at 1 Corinthians 6, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, if any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? No, I, didn't, I didn't know that, Paul, but you just told me, so I guess I do now. And if you're to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? I didn't know that, but now I know it. So yeah, <laughs> how much more the things of this life? And then in Revelation, and there I read another passage before from, from Revelation where it talks about this concept, and it is in Scripture. You've made them a kingdom to be, to be a kingdom and priests to serve a God. They will reign on the earth. So there's this sense in which we're going to get... Uh, a sense to even go back to the way it was in creation when we were supposed to reign or, or, or have uh, dominance over in a sense that was careful, loving stewardship of the earth. And that's all completely broken now because of the fall. But somehow we will do that as rulers and in the new heavens and new earth. And it'll be a very physical place, very earthly-like, but it'll be different. However, the last one. We'll be glorified. Now, that's a, a lot of people freak out. They go like, uh, I thought glory is God's alone. And it is in one sense. But God says, you will be glorified. I'm just going to prove it to you again. Romans 8, 18. With the glory that will be revealed in us. And uh, just Colossians 1, it's, you can just Google the word glory and, and look at it. To them God has chosen to make known among Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There, there's a hope of glory and our own glory. Now that hits you a little bit like, wow, I thought we're supposed to be humble. And C.S. Lewis picks up on this. He says this, glory suggests two ideas to me, of which one seems wicked and the other ridiculous. Either glory means to me fame or it means luminosity. As for the first, since to be famous means to be better known than other people, the desire for fame appears to me to be as a, as a competitive passion and therefore of hell rather than of heaven. As for the second, this is great, who wishes to become a kind of living electric light bulb? Okay, that's really funny if you're a Brit in 1947 or 49 or whatever you're And so he thinks about those in the, in the rest of the, the entire rest of the sermon or the article or chapter in this, but he thinks about those two things. And he starts with the concept of fame, okay? And he says, what is, what is that, what is fame? What, 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 is that, what does that actually mean? And it ultimately means uh, not vain fame, but real fame. It means the respect of those who deeply know you, and they really respect you. And he says the key point in the gospel, one of the key things is that your heavenly Father, because of Jesus Christ, is going to look at you on that day, if you're a follower of Jesus, on that day he will look at you and say, and say well done, good and faithful servant. And, and C.S. Lewis wrestles with this saying, it just sounds like a pat on the back. And it is, from God, because of Jesus. And he pats you on the back. Here's C.S. Lewis on this. He says, um, but I thought I could detect a moment, a, a very, very short moment before this happened when we thought of fame the wrong way, during which the satisfaction of having pleased those whom I rightly loved and rightly feared was pure. And that is enough to raise our thoughts to what may happen when the redeemed soul beyond all hope and nearly beyond belief learns at last that she has pleased him who she was created to please. There will be no room for vanity then. She will be free from the miserable illusion that it is her doing. With no talent of what we should now call self-approval, she will most innocently rejoice in the thing that God has made her to be. And the, and the moment which heals her old inferiority complex forever will also drown her pride deeper than Prospero's book. And it's an it's allusion to the tempest. Uh, in other words, just going to drown you. It's not about pride. But it's about God saying and patting you on the back and saying, 
well done, well done. I am pleased with you. And secondly, it's about luminosity. (laughs) Now that one seems like, wait a minute now, isn't that reserved for God? Isn't God the one who illuminates? Go way back to the series, eh? Creation. Who are we? We're image bearers. We're, we're, We're mirrors. We're reflectors. And we reflect the image of God. So if we're fully set free to do that, we will glow. I mean, I don't know of a better word here. Yeah, you'll be an eternal light bulb. Not, not, not a real light bulb, uh, but, but you, you will glow in that sense. C.S. Lewis here is wonderful. He says, and in there, in beyond nature, we shall eat of the tree of life. At present, if, we are, we're, if we're one of those who are reborn in Christ, the spirit of, in us lives directly on God, but the mind and still more the body receives life from him at a, at, at a thousand removes through our ancestors, through our food, through the elements, the faint, far-off results of those energies which God's creative rapture implanted in uh, matter when he made the world's uh, are what we now call physical pleasures and even thus filtered. They are too much for our present management." What would it be? What uh, excuse me? What would it be to taste at that fountainhead, that stream of which even those lower reach, reaches prove so intoxicating? Yet that I believe is what lies before us. The whole person is to drink joy from the fountain of joy, as Saint Augustine said. The rapture of the saved soul will flow over into the glorified body. So that's glorification. That is what the hope of the Christian life is. It's talked about a lot in Scripture. The hope we have. And it's coming. Now, 13th message. Let me kind of wrap up all of this, all 13 weeks. What are we to do with all this? And uh, last week when Pastor Cole was preaching, I was listening, but... Boom, I got hit with an analogy that I said, ooh, that'll preach. And so uh, I want to share it with you. And, and the, the, the illustration is this. You're just a person, and um, I, I'm, I'm, for the sake of this illustration, I'll just make you a guy, and you're a guy, and uh, you're going through life, and you have this, you, you don't know why, but there's something kind of bent within you and you, you just desire to do harm. And so there's something going on within you, and you end up doing harm to someone. In fact, you end up killing them. You're found, uh, you're, you're captured, you're arrested, you're put to trial, you are found guilty of capital uh, first-degree murder, and you are put into, to make the analogy work, you are put into a state where there is capital punishment. You are on death row. And you go to your cell, and every time you go in and out of your cell, all the other cellmates yell, as they do for everyone else. They always yell, dead man walking, dead man walking. And you're walking, because upcoming up is your execution day. And you know, in this whole process, uh, you have learned to absolutely hate the warden. You've never met the warden. You don't think about him, but you just hate him, because he represents the reason that you're behind bars, the reason that you're here and you hate this guy, can't stand him. And one day he shows up and stands on the other side of your cell door. He's got a piece of paper in his hand. And the cell door opens. And he says, I have your pardon right here. You didn't ask for it. You don't deserve it. Do you want it? And your eyes are open. And you go, the warden who I hate, and I'm, I'm guilty of this crime, I deserve this. But of course I want it. And instantly your heart has changed towards the warden. My gosh, that's who you are? And as you go grab the pardon, the warden says, I just want to let you know that this does not come free. There has been a crime, and justice must be served. And you didn't realize it, but behind him is standing his 33-year-old son. 
And his 33-year-old son says, I would gladly serve both your rest of your time in prison and go to the executioner's chamber for you. And he goes in the cell for you. Now the warden takes you and uh, you walk down to the, 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 the glass, uh, you know, the, 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 the place where you can get your civilian clothes and you're going to uh, get all your, you know, you get your rings and your watch and your money and everything else, everything you came in before you had it. And on the way while you're walking there, the, the warden says to you, by the way, I got to let you know something. Uh, you're going to get all the benefits of my son. My son owned a great company. You're going to get that. You're going to get his bank account. You're going to get his home. You're going to get his car. In fact, you're going to get his reputation. When you walk out of here, you're going to have his reputation. What? So you walk up to the, the place, and you, you go there, and one of the things they ask you is, is you put a change of address, and you put your new permanent address, and the minute you sign it out and hand it back, that's now your legal address. Your address is no longer the prison. You're outside the prison. And the warden says, here's the deal. I'm going to walk you all the way outside the prison. And so he walks you, and you go down this hallway, similar to the one this looks here, and you walk, and you go, and then you think, this is great. And then you turn a corner, and you walk down, and you look, and you see this next hallway, and you go, that's a long hallway. And you walk in this hallway for days, months, years. But in your walking there, you're no longer a prisoner. You're not a prisoner. Your address is outside. And the warden is walking with you. And yeah, there's dangers of living in a prison. There's bad things that could happen to you, but the warden will take care of you every single step of the way. And there might even be a, a, a crisis that happens, and you might be under lockdown, but you're going to be put down under lockdown as a, as a free person for your safety, not as punishment. And the warden's going to walk with you every step of the way. And just as you get towards, after years of doing this, and, and you experience everything a prisoner would, you get their food, you're breathing the same air, you're in the prison but you're not a prisoner. You walk out and you start to see the light coming from the doorway and you realize, I am going there. That's who we are right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, you still live here. That is your reality. But you're not a prisoner. And Christ has paid for your sin completely and fully. It is taken care of. And the warden is walking with you every step of the way. And as you walk now, the prisoners yell a new thing. Live man walking! Live man walking! And as you walk, you start telling prisoners, do you realize that this guy can get you out? Let me let C.S. Lewis, in the way he closes his message here, close our time together. He says this. This is the last page and a half, so just hang with me for a second, but it's so good. Meanwhile, the cross comes before the crown, and tomorrow is a Monday morning. He was preaching this on a Sunday. A cleft has opened in the pitiless, pit, uh, pit, pitiless walls of the world, and we are invited to follow our great captain inside. The following him is, of course, the essential point. That being so, it may be asked what practical use there is in the speculations which I have been indulging. I can think of at least one such use. It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to, to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. See, the reality is not everybody's responding to Jesus Christ. And some will have to pay for them sins themselves for eternity. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics, 
There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually, uh, perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind. And it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have from the outset, outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love as flippancy parodies merriment. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way. For in him also Christ, vera latitat, which is is, is, is Latin for the glorifier and the glorif the glorifier and the glorified glory himself is truly hidden. So let me ask you at the end of this series, do you long to go home? Do you long to infect others with what their hearts are longing for as well? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I think of an old tune by Larry Norman called Only Visiting This Planet. And that is very true. We were, we're not created for this world. We're created for so much more. And yet we live in a fallen world. And one day you will create a new heaven and a new earth. And those of us who are followers of you will reside there God, I pray for us that we would long deeply to be with you, to be made like you, to reign with you, to have eternal felicity, and to be glorified. I pray for folks in this room or Hope West or maybe somebody's listening to this uh, you know, later on and they haven't yet bent their knee to you. God, that you'd put a home-calling beacon in their heart and that they would want to come to see you. And I pray that even right now, they would bend the knee of their heart to you and say yes to you. Jesus Christ, I take you as Lord. I take you as Savior. I want you. So I pray, Lord God, for us that we'd be people who long for our heavenly home, even as we live effectively amongst our neighbors here in this one. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.